millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a very scary Halloween edition of Wood Talk. Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio, for woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Oh, it's very spooky, oogie boogie. It's episode... Oh, be careful. Yeah, we had a very crazy introduction uh, foul up there on my part because it's October 31st, 2012, and that means it's Halloween, so happy Halloween, everybody. Ooh, trick or treat! And Matt is wearing his invisible ghost costume. That's right, which is a little bit scary. Um, <laughs> hey, I should mention that today's show is supported by Microjig, the creators of the Gripper 3D Push Block. That's an American-made precision safety guidance system for the table saw and wood shop. They're not inexpensive, but they are the safest. Visit Microjig.com to see the Gripper in action. Work safer, work smarter. Microjig. I just ad libbed that. That was pretty good. That was really good, although the, the singing part, I think, was almost as scary as the intro. <laughs> micro jig. How about that? <laughs> there you All go. right, so on today's show, we're talking I'm about... wearing my robot voice thingy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so I should mention, uh, Shannon is without power, so he's on his iPhone on Skype, and if he sounds like crap, I'm going to hang up on him, just so you know, ahead of time. Uh, but on today's show, we're talking about, well, Facebook questions today. We opened up that new Facebook page and got a lot of questions from you guys, so some of the topics include the Festool Domino, Tool chests versus tool cabinets, drill presses, wood storage, urban harvested wood, mallets, and of course, we're going to have some cool links for you from our uh, Around the Web section. Matt, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with us? All right. Well, if you your brain hasn't been filled up with all of that information, and preferably by the time you're listening to this, you're probably not too overwhelmed with the amount of candy that you're going to be stealing from the neighbor kids as they're running past your front porch. <laughs> you can get a hold of us several different ways. First of all, you can Skype us at Wood Talk Online or call our voicemail at 623-242-5180. Don't forget, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And if you're looking for the show notes and past episodes, head on over to woodtalkshow.com. Hey, you know what? We're on the Facebook, too. And in fact, a lot of you have been taking great advantage of that. And when it comes down to it, you know what? You can always find us on our individual sites at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, madsbasementworkshop.com. And don't forget about the Wood Talk Online forum at woodtalkonline.com. And you know what, folks? Just to let you know, actually, that laughter at the beginning of the show that was my laugh from before I had my tonsillectomy several years ago. So be very thankful for the chortle you have now. It's true. It is quite an improvement over the previous one. I'm just curious. Uh, Shannon, did you just hop on a motorcycle? Where'd Shannon go? <laughs> I think he's fulfilling that order on the other end since he sounds like the drive through It totally sounded like he was on a motorcycle there. Um, so, yeah, I piled- No, that was the sound of my neighbor's generator. Oh, <laughs> Nice. There we what go. Are you over there, like trying to run power to it right now? You like you snuck your extension cord over there when you thought he wasn't looking, <laughs> right? Well, 
I thought I would run outside and plug the phone into the car charger just in case I started running low on battery, and that actually made the connection worse. So <laughs> mm, I decided wonderful. to come back in, but I forgot to mute the Skype call at that time. So sorry. Oh, okay. Well, we aren't going <laughs> to Actually, I was a... just out trick-or-treating, you know. <laughs> Why not? If I'm on an iPhone doing this show, I might as well be mobile, right? Yeah, get some candy while you're at it. Um, you know, we should mention that, of, of course, there was a, the hurricane action up in the Northeast, so uh, our thoughts are with anyone who's dealing with any fallout or, or crap from that or power loss Absolutely. or whatever. Even if it's just a minor inconvenience, it, it sucks. So uh, our thoughts are with you, and we're not going to spend too much time on the weather because that's boring. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to what's on the bench. And, uh, Shannon, you want to kick it off before you get disconnected? <laughs> sure. Well, uh, actually, there is something on my bench. Yesterday... I thought, what better opportunity to uh, woodwork with hand tools than when I don't have power? So I went down into the shop, and I kid you not, I made a candle holder. Because <laughs> it was dark. Nice. So I made an 18th century reflective candle holder, and it actually puts out quite a bit of light. Um, in fact, I'm in the shop right now. I might as well light it, because it's very, very dark in here. <laughs> nice. You should show us on your webcam. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, is that in poor taste that I said that? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Oh, well, that's not the first time. Yeah, very cool. So uh, you got to take pictures. So, of yeah, that, that's that's all that's on my bench as far as I can tell. Nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I actually, believe it or not, I filmed it. And I'm really curious to see how it came out. Of course, I you know can't download it from the camera without power or do any editing without power. But So I have a feeling the footage is going to be kind of grainy. But, you know, what the heck? We'll see what happens. There you go. Sounds good, man. A good way to make the uh, best of a crappy situation. Absolutely. Good I'm having fun. Cool. All right, Matt, what about you, buddy? Well, the big thing for me is I started a set of bedside tables that I've been putting off for a long time now. Uh, in short, uh, apparently Samantha is not as thrilled with my old college furniture as I still am, so <laughs> it's time to get that stuff out of there. I'm recording the whole thing, uh, so we'll see more of this. In fact, plan on seeing uh, the very first episode of it very, very soon. So I don't want to spoil it too much by talking a lot about it. But like I said, you know, hey, college furniture, you have those old memories and – Sometimes stains. you just don't want to let them go. <laughs> Old stains and smells. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who says that everything has to match? Isn't that like an eclectic look? <laughs> I think it is. It's called cottage style. Exactly. Um, or cottage. I think that's the cottage, other one. Cottage style. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Uh, well, my, my stuff is, uh, unfortunately, right. I'm not really building anything right at the moment. I'm kind of just getting the shop back in order, putting some, um, I like to put that paneling, the sort of, what do they call it? T111 uh, sheathing siding material on the walls. Uh, mm -hmm. I just put that right over the drywall and it just gives me this beautiful surface that looks very, I mean, the only way I can describe it is wood shoppy, you know, it makes it, <laughs> it's a great way I, to describe it. It would shoppy. And, uh, you could put a screw anywhere. You can mount anything anywhere. So it not only looks good, but it's something that's really functional. And I typically use it for what I call my hand tool wall. Uh, so my entire, um, hand tool cabinet goes on that wall. Any of the little doodads that I have to hold my chisels, hammers, measuring devices, all that stuff. Uh, saws and everything gets hung on that wall so uh, it's a really nice uh, touch and it's really not well it's not the cheapest thing in the world but it's about i think 25 bucks a sheet maybe it was 35 i can't remember but you only need a couple of sheets to get the job done uh, so i did that and the other thing that i was working on is my jointer out of all of the tools that needed calibration after the move um, frankly i was really impressed uh, for instance the table saw was right on there was nothing at all wrong with the table saw uh, I had my Festool MFT, which I rely on being dead on 90, made a sample cut, boom, still at 90. Uh, the only thing that was a little bit off was the jointer. And my, I just, basically, I made sure everything was secure. I'm not going to turn it on and run it, you know, uh, haphazardly, but everything was secure. And it looked like it was, for the most part, still in alignment. So I ran a board over there, and it did one of those things where you just get over the cutter head, and then it, boom, it just stops. Oh, and the wood I just, just dealt with this not too long ago, so I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. That yeah. is so – and then you, the worst part about it is when that happens and you're kind of either at the very beginning of a project and you just want to start making some progress yeah. or you're in the middle and you're just trying to like, oh, my God, I made a miscut. Now I need to re-mill some stuff and oh, what a pain. Yeah, you just oh, don't you're want to stop. me angry. No, no, it is. It's it's frustrating. But I figured, you know what? <laughs> it's uh, You wouldn't like Matt when he's angry. No, he, he's very <laughs> scary. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, one of those things where I'm like, well, I kind of expected at least something to be out of calibration. So, um, unfortunately the jointer is my least favorite thing to calibrate. So I took a closer look at it and really all it was is the outfeed bed was just a little bit high. 
and I was able to lower that down. I checked everything else. Every, the, both the beds were still in alignment with one another. So I was really, really impressed that the ability of, of these tools to, to hold their positions and not really need a full recalibration after the sort of torture test that they've been enduring for the last few months. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So very happy with that. But the, the one thing I wanted to mention is as I'm playing with the joiner, I'm thinking, you know, I've got one of those Shelix cutter heads on my planer and I'm like, it is about time that I, I invest the money and just replace the standard straight knife cutter head in my joiner and upgrade to one of those Shelix models. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, do either of you have experience with the Shelix in the jointer? Uh, I don't, not at all. I, I, I've looked at it. I've thought about it, but no, personally, I haven't had a chance to really play with it. And I know Shannon, do you even have a joiner anymore? No, I don't. But uh, I've used a Shelix joiner at the the Millworks at uh, at work. Okay. And well, we switched. I don't know. We switched before, long before I even started working there. But we have uh, helical cutter cutter heads. Helical cutter heads. Helical <laughs> cutter heads in all of our planers, molders, and uh, and our joint. Well, we only have one joiner, and it's a battleship of a thing. But mm-hmm. um, everybody says they're quieter. I don't know because it's in the Millworks and. You could drop a bomb in there and you wouldn't hear it. So, um, so I'm just going to say, sure, maybe it's quieter. Yeah. But um, the the we still have a straight knife uh, joiner over in the corner, and um, I actually I think I did a blog post this uh, at work on this. I tried to get photographs, and it's amazing the quality of the cut. Um, you know how you get those little straight knife lines on on a regular joiner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they're just, they're not there. It's co- the, the quality. I mean, it looks like something I hand play. Wow. It's, it's, wow. it's very, very cool. Nice. So, nice. All right. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I was, I was thinking, you know, on the joiner, I, th- I don't know for me on the planer, it's really important. It's, it, it really is a big upgrade because adjusting the blades on there can be an absolute nightmare. And I find the joiner cause they're a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit easier to do, but still wouldn't it be nice just to not have to worry about that anymore. So I'm just like, you know what? Screw it. I don't want to adjust another knife in in my life. If I can avoid it, I've already done a video on how to do that. So I don't, <laughs> I don't have to feel <laughs> obligated to cover it. Uh, it's time to upgrade. And the great thing, if you're not familiar with these things, not only uh, does it, you know, this type of cutter head provide generally a cleaner cut, it's something that the adjustments are just fantastic. If you get a nick in one of the the blades, you basically have four sides to work with. So you just uh, unscrew it and rotate it 90 degrees and you got a fresh blade. So you're going to go, I mean, you look at the price of this thing and you figure, oh, it's kind of hard to swallow. It's three, 400 bucks. But ultimately, if you think about sending those knives out for sharpening, getting this thing to last at least four times longer than you normally would uh, before you need to do anything, and all you really have to do is replace these little square nubby things uh, that are four-sided blades that are pre-indexed, and you just don't have to think about it anymore. And it's, you know, to me, that's just the dream come true. So it's, I think it's time, and I did go ahead and, and place the order and uh, picked one up. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to be waiting weeks to get it in because they don't have any in stock, and they're making more. So we'll I see really hope they keep making more. I mean, after talking about it, I'm starting <laughs> to think I want to get one. Just the fact that whenever there's that one tiny little nick, it's just amazing how I always seem to run over that area, even though I try to set the fence because hopefully <laughs> my nicks always kind of occur on what would be the outside edges of the board. Okay. So when I'm when I'm planing the face or joining the face, sometimes I try to, you know, hopefully the board is narrow enough that I can avoid that one area that I know there's a nick. Right. But inevitably, I always seem to have the nick right down the center. So it doesn't matter where. I go. I'm nailing it. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm really excited about it. Um, all right. You know, the, the funny thing actually I wanted to mention, this goes back to what we were saying last time when uh, we talked a little bit about boutique dealers and uh, companies holding off on orders and going on back order. And I think that that doesn't necessarily uh, just live in the hand tool world because this is a company who, you know, this is what they do and they're weeks, you know, and it, uh, a lot of weeks. I'm thinking I'm going to be waiting months before I actually get this cutter head in. Um, so it's, you know, I think maybe this is something in, in a niche industry like this, maybe whether it's power or hand tool, uh, these companies kind of have this issue where they're just keeping things small. That's interesting. Cause you really wouldn't think that's the case with a, you know, a machined product like that, but I guess yeah. it's really no different than making a hand plane. You know, I mean, you still have some casting and machining that have to be done. So yeah. yeah. And if, and if you've, you know, sort of committed to doing everything in house, you know, maybe that's the other thing that's slowing them down. Um, right. You guys remember my, I mentioned it offline with you, my little rant about uh, websites and, and poor design and how do these companies stay in business when they've got these <laughs> crappy websites? 
Uh, that's what I was trying to order at the time that I was dealing with this. Uh, I could not. <laughs> Nothing for- is worse than you can't find the actual order area or pricing or just even when you look for like, how do I contact you? I just want to <laughs> talk to somebody. Dude, I had to. I emailed them because really what I wanted to do is find the part number. This this item is available on Amazon. There's other vendors that carry it. So I figured, well, let me see if I can prime it, you know, or, or get one from another source, maybe check the pricing. And I couldn't get the part number. There was no way to find the part number. So I emailed him. The answer that I got didn't give me the part number I asked for, but said that I could call and place my order anytime I'd like. Um, you can order online. So I did actually for the first time in, wow, a long time. I had to, to pick up the phone and call, give him my credit card number and place the order. Are you at that point now with both of you? Are you at this point now where when it comes to things like this, if you actually have to do that, you really start looking elsewhere? Like I almost <laughs> go out of my way to find a completely different resource to versus yeah. having to actually make the phone call and read my numbers. So it's so sad. I do that with my pizza companies now. We only order pizza from companies that have an online thing. I mean, it's that pathetic. Sam will call, but I won't. I'm like, screw that. If I can't get like somehow Papa points or something like that, yeah. it's not happening. I was thinking about halfway through this process. I'm like, hmm, maybe straight knife cutter heads aren't that bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it. Well, and there's also that in um, those pre-indexed, what are they, ESTA something or other I'll put a link. Someone sent me a link on Facebook and said, have you tried these? They basically have a little notch on this uh, carrier for the blade. Now, they're disposable. You can't sharpen them, but they pre-index. So you just drop them in, make sure that it's sitting up against the cutter head, and all of the knives will be exactly equally distant from the cutter head surface. So it, oh. it's perfectly pre-indexed, huh. and it's a you know sort of thing that you can use for... Uh, for straight knife design systems. It's really expensive to start off, but I think that's because you're paying for those little uh, carrier pieces and that you could just get the blades later for like 35 bucks. Um, the Tools and Shops issue of Fine Woodworking that just came out has a little uh, review of that, or I think the jointer tune-up uh, thing that they have in there talks about that a little bit in a little sidebar. Okay. Um, so so check that out if you are if you do have a straight I'll, knife I'll cutter. I'll have to head. look at that because I can't picture what it is you're talking about. That doesn't make yeah. sense. Making a note um, of it right now. Yeah, it's it's difficult to explain. Just I'll I'll have to put a link in the show notes that hopefully shows you. Well, I'll put a link to the actual product. You'll see what it is. Now, the one thing I'm curious with is when you went to actually tune up your existing joiner, mm-hmm. did you log on to Matt's site, my site, or your own site to watch the video on how to do that? <laughs> I thought I thought about that, and I'm like, I'm going to actually go to the tool, and if I can't remember how to do this, uh, that's going to be a problem. I mean, I've seen this done so many times. Like, I, I did the video myself. I'm like, if I don't know this by now, I need to find something else to do with my life. <laughs> so... Uh, all right, so let's move around to the around the web section, and we've got a couple links here for you. I've got a link that Steve, how would you pronounce this, guys? L y d e Lydie, Steve. Yeah, that works for me. Lydie, you're Smith. asking the wrong person, Matt. How do you pronounce something? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Smith. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So Steve Lydie, sorry if I mispronounced your name there, Steve. He sent me a link to a YouTube video that is basically what I'll call a hybrid woodworker's dream bench. It sort of combines a lot of Festool things into like almost like a MFT meets a solid workbench with a ton of storage. And really, like I said, a hybrid woodworker's dream. It really is something that is intended to 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 blend and marry your hand tools and your power tools, giving you the best of both worlds. The whole thing's in German. I don't know what the heck they're saying. I don't know if someone's selling something, what's going on there. But at the very least, watch the video, and it might give you some ideas of things that you can do to your own bench to sort of jazz it up a little bit. Oh, cool. nice. Yeah. I always like getting a little inspiration here and there. Mm-hmm. Shannon, you're up next in case you don't have the notes there. Yeah, I do. Um, I've been following for a while now Bob Easton over at his blog, um, bobeaston.com, bob-easton.com. He's been building a treadle lathe for long, 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 long time. He kind of put the project on hiatus for a while during boat building season and then came back to it because um, you're not – I guess he doesn't build a lot of boats when it's the water's frozen in upstate New York. I don't know. What? But, um he well, if you guys don't know, I'm going to be building a treadle lathe on the hand tool school in semester five, starting sometime next summer. So I've been kind of designing one, and it's one of those things when it's kind of like building a workbench. There are so many designs out there that you're kind of like, oh my god, I don't know where to start. Should I add this? Should I add this? What you know? What components do I need? 
And um, Bob, is his design is exactly kind of what I'm thinking. He's integrated some modern hardware components, so he can use like modern drive spurs, and um, he's got a Morse taper on one end. And it's just a really cool design. And he's actually done some incredible work. If you're ever thinking about building one of these, he's got links to all of his suppliers, everybody he's bought hardware from. So it's it's basically a, a, a how to build the treadle lathe. Nice. And his recent post that just came out is kind of the first, it's his first video I've ever seen. And he kind of walks you through it. And he says part one. So I'm hoping he's got a part two where he actually starts turning. Um, what I find funny is, if I understand this correctly, Bob has never turned anything before, and he just <laughs> built the treadle lathe. So I'm really curious to see how someone, you know, because you learn how to turn, and then you know, if you go to the treadle, then you kind of have to reteach yourself to, you know, pat your, you know, r- what is it, rub your belly and pat your head type thing because you got that <laughs> right. foot going. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how someone learns to turn like starting with foot power, be curious to see how that works out, but it's just a really cool build series, really well thought out, a lot of details. And I'm hoping there's some more videos, Bob, if you're listening, more videos. Cool. Just looking at some of these things, this is just really, really, really sweet. You know what? It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, I was a huge star Wars freak. In fact, I just sold all my toys last year to pay for my daughter's braces or part of it. But what I used to do is if I didn't have the toy, I was also a Lego freak. So I would just make things out of the Legos. And oftentimes my Lego toys were much nicer than the ones we ended up buying. But to some degree, that's what this kind of reminds me of. It's it's like, I really want a lathe, but I can't really afford it. Hey, I've got all this wood. And I know what a lathe looks like. Let's see if we can make one that actually works. And this is actually, other than the joking aside, this is really sweet. Yeah, very cool stuff. I mean, it is it is exactly like workbenches. You know, you've got that guy that's got that, you know, banged together two by four and a sheet of plywood thing over in the corner. And he's like, hey, it works, you know, or the door and a pair of sawhorses. And you got the same thing. You've got a guy with like two sticks and a branch you know, and a rope and that's his lathe. And then you've got, there's a guy in Denmark that I think is part-time machinist, part-time woodworker. And he's built like this steampunk monster that just hums along at like 3,600 RPMs by foot power. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) So there's an incredible amount of designs on the internet, but the worst part is, is, you know, I think like most of us, everybody who's built one is kind of like faking their way through it. And when when they're, when you're called upon to like document it, you're like, Oh damn, I don't remember what I did there. Or I don't (laughs) know. Know where I got that part. I found it in the dumpster, you know. And Bob is really you could you could tell that he was thinking, I'm gonna blog this as I build it. Mm. So he he kept meticulous notes and he's got links to everything. It's just it's very, very a very good resource. Very until cool. the Hanton School semester five comes along then, of course. <laughs> Ridiculous. There you go. Nice. <laughs> cool. Very nice. Plug alert. <laughs> very nice. All right, what, what do you got there, Matt? All right. Well, uh, mine, this one I've had sitting around for a little while now, and it's called the 100K Garages. And this is actually by uh, a little company called ShopBot. I'm sure people have heard about them. Essentially what the website is, it's totally free. This is where people who are interested in maybe uh, either having things created by, say, well, uh, CNC router, laser cutter, or even a 3D printer. This is a place where people looking to have things made can be connected with fabbers who have these this equipment, or even fabbers who are just looking for you know a job or something. Maybe there's you know there you have this piece of equipment and you'd be interested in making a little money on the side or something. You can even have it that way. It's an opportunity for people to connect together. And the neat thing about this is they actually have a geolocation uh, search in there, so you could put in like I could put in right now. Uh, um, CNC router, and I can find a number located within a specific mile range from me. And they're everything from big shops to just a, a person who has it in their garage just for the fun of it, for whatever reason. It could be of all sorts of different shapes and sizes. So it, it's a it's a really neat resource, or resource for individuals. Like I said, it's for fabbers. It's for people that are looking to have this stuff done who don't have any CNC experience whatsoever. And I guess they recently even opened up. I haven't had a chance to really go very deep into it, but they have a spot for uh, designers, like an inspiration gallery, and it uh, oftentimes will introduce designers with fabbers or, again, maybe there's something you've had in your 
mind for the longest time, but you wouldn't have a clue how to design it or how to do anything with it, you can get connected with a designer who in turn can connect you with a fabber. And it's just a really neat opportunity for those intricate designs that maybe you thought would be impossible to do because you don't have a CNC or a 3D printer or whatever to uh, uh, play around with it. So I thought that was a resource I couldn't pass up. That was that was a pretty good one. That now, is course, pretty cool. Yeah. My my cool. um my buddy Ron has a CNC machine, and I can't tell you how many times it has come in handy. And if, I make a lot of templates and things for the guild, and we sell those uh, to guild members. So I need to make you know batch these things out. And yeah, I could flush trim them all myself and and sort of try <laughs> to batch them out. But knowing someone who can have them uh, not only batch them out for me, but make them the very first one at a very high level of precision and all of my curves are, are perfectly symmetrical, things like that. Uh, it's so handy to have around. So if you're designing your own furniture and you want a real nice set of templates, it's great to have somebody that you can use a resource like this just to make templates for yourself. Exactly. So, so that was one of the really... things I was thinking. I've got I've got something coming up where I'm like, you know, I can make it myself, but I almost mm-hmm. want to take advantage of this just to see how it works and be able to tell people about it. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing I was thinking is that 3D printer. I hope nobody's going to like somehow start doing things like, you know, well, hey, there's this really cool tool from this manufacturer, <coughs> Lee Valley. Uh, could you make something like this? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they won't mind. I'm sure. I don't know about you guys, but I want I want a 3D printer more than anything else. I think that'd be yeah. awesome. I do too. Those things are awesome. <laughs> and, for sure. and Matt, it'll be eventually it'll, the technology of 3D printers will be to the point where you're like, I'm not going to order pizza from a place online. I'm only ordering pizza from places that print it out for me. You know? <laughs> Trust me, I have that moment where I stand there at the computer going, coffee, Earl Grey, uh, 42 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. All right. Uh, poll of the week, guys. We asked, uh, how do you cross cut? Last week we talked about ripping. So this week I was a little bit late putting the poll up. I just put it up today. So the numbers are a little bit low. Uh, last time I checked, we had about 500 votes. And again, we definitely have the more favoring of the power tools here. Uh, 39% said they use the miter saw or a sliding compound miter saw. 35% said the table saw with a crosscut sled or a miter gauge. All the way down to 6% uh, radial arm saw. And then 3%, which is my favorite, is the skilled karate chop. Uh, <laughs> that's that actually uh chuck norris is going to be coming out with a new tool line i don't know if you're aware of that to help with just cross cuts and a special technique for miters yeah uh so yeah there were a couple others on there of course some hand tool options but everything below six percent was very very low so most people are focusing on the miter saw and the table saw so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that because initially uh, table saw was was definitely in the lead before i posted it and then once i posted it the miter saw shot up uh, which uh, oddly enough is what I use myself most of the time for uh, more narrow boards. So I'll be interested to see how that uh, transpires over time. So check it out. That's posted at my site and Tom's website at tomsworkbench.com. Uh, let's move on to our voicemail. We do have one. Oh, before today. we go there, we have to announce the, the, my poll of the week, which is the Maciags, because oh. Ted threatened to kick my butt unless I, I said that his family won. So uh, <laughs> Ted and the rest of you, um, you you're the winners. What do week. they win? I'm curious. Uh, my, uh, just a um, mention I don't know. Show? I think they're going to come over and just take things now. <laughs> you, uh, you get invited over to a, a Vanderlist dinner. Well, I, I, they do actually invite me to the Polish festival at their church. So that's to me is totally worth it. Very nice. Very <laughs> nice. All right. So this voicemail is from Mike in LA and he has a question, which I thought was really compelling. So let's, uh, let's take a listen. Hey guys, this is Mike Corin from Los Angeles. Um, first off, congrats on starting weekly shows. That's awesome. Uh, my question is this. If you had to do it again, anarchist tool chest or wall-hanging tool cabinet? Um, I'm relatively new to the craft, and I need to build something to house my hand tools in. And I was curious to see what you guys thought about each, if you could see any pros or cons with either or had any experience with using both. Uh, I have the wall space and floor space for building either, and the aesthetics don't really matter as much to me as the function. Thanks, dudes. See ya. All right, I thought that was a really great question, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't get the tool chest thing. And perhaps you guys can enlighten me on why a shop-based woodworker. Now, this all is out the window when you're talking about somebody, you know, like Shannon who throws on his uh those fancy pantyhose and goes to stepping stone and <laughs> you know. out the big buckle shines those <laughs> off with his lard. Yeah, and he has to, you know, maybe try 19th century folks, 19th century jeans oh, okay. and suspenders. Come okay, on. Okay, okay, okay. Uh but he has to, you know, travel or you're taking your tools on the road. Makes perfect sense. But if you have the wall space and if you're in the shop, why in the world 
are you going to want to bend over and dig crap out of a giant box that you're, you know, for, for all of your tools to me, yes, it might be fun. It might be an interesting thing to build, but I am so much more in favor of a wall hanging cabinet. If you have the space, it's up at the height. That's very easy to grab. Everything is uh, accessible. It just, it doesn't make sense to me at all other than for like the fun of building a chest that you could put tools in. So someone enlighten me on why anyone who has a static situation would even want to think about a tool chest. Well, I'm going to go out on the on, on a rope and say, Mark, I'm with you. I, I don't get it either. I, I think, it, again, it's a neat thing. And maybe it could double as a hope chest also. Hopefully, somebody will put more <laughs> tools in it for me is what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's uh, what I was going to say. Donation <laughs> chest. I like that. So uh, maybe, Shannon, you, you're, maybe you can take this one. <laughs> Well, um, I, I guess the, the first point, Mark, is certainly the tool chest, the traditional tool chest is not really meant to take anywhere. I mean, I guess that was the idea. The journeyman would, would have all his tools and he would, I guess, carry it around in a wagon or something. I mean, obviously, you've seen the, the anarchist tool chest. It's not one of those things that you're supposed to carry around. I mean, Schwarz does because he takes it everywhere and teaches, but even he has built a smaller one. Yeah, because it's big, um, massive. Yeah, I, at one point he wrote how heavy it was with all the tools in it. But I myself have a hanging tool cabinet. I, I built one um, before the Anarchist Tool Chest came out. And I've actually had this question because um, I did it for the hand tool school. I've had a lot of members who've emailed me saying, well, now that Schwartz has come out, do you regret building the hanging cabinet? And no, I don't. <laughs> not, not at all. Um, to me, it's so much more functional that, I mean, the tools are kind of laid out in like a single, a uh, single layer. So you can kind of get to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have worked out of a tool chest or traditional one at the museum. We have three of them there. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where you, you get used to one way. So everything else is difficult and stupid. And, um, <laughs> to me, the, the chest itself, um, Maybe if I knew where everything was, it's just a matter of flicking a couple of tills out of the way and getting getting where you need to be. For me personally, I don't have the floor space in my shop, but I do have the wall space. Now, if I, I suppose if I were to completely renovate my shop and like tear it down to nothing, I could probably find the room for it. But to me, having the wall space is much easier to come up with than the floor space. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I just don't have enough experience uh, on the tool chest to really be able to tell you, to have gotten used to it, to be able to say, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Um, right now, the way I'm standing, it, to me, it's an inconvenience. Um, my hanging tool cabinet, uh, well, it's not actually hanging on the wall yet because I've got to take something else down, but it's sitting against the wall. And, you know, I swing open a door and all my chisels are laid right there. Uh, my planes are all standing up. Everything is within arm's reach. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Um, well, it, I, it does seem a bit like an outdated kind of obsolete thing. But yeah, Shores I, swears by it. You know, I mean, he says it's the easiest thing in the world to work out of. And, but I think he's used to it. I think that's the difference. Well, and I just don't, I mean, just on the common sense level of how difficult it is to reach into a bin versus taking something off the wall. I mean, even if you, even if you go to a tool chest and I've seen some great designs with, um, nested parts and multiple layers and you sort of, you know, think about like the studly tool chest as an extreme example on a, you know, it's a fairly small chest, but it's well packed, very dense. Um, you can get creative right. like that. You can have that multi-layer design and, you know, put, peel one layer back and there's a whole new set of tools, kind of like what you reveal as you dig through something like the anarchist tool chest uh, or any other floor standing tool chest. But ultimately, I just I just can't wrap my brain around how that is even remotely more useful. Even if you're used to it, you got to tell me or you can't tell me that it's it's more fun to pick a plane, a heavy plane out of a bin than it is to just pull it right off of the wall. Uh, again, once again, that caveat, assuming that you have that wall space to give. So personally, right. my recommendation, and it sounds like we're, we're at least the three of us probably agree here that if you're looking to build some sort of a tool chest and you do have the wall space and you aren't planning on going anywhere with it, regardless of whether the anarchist tool chest is meant to go anywhere. Um, I personally think you're better served coming up with a creative solution for having your tools uh, on the wall. It just makes so much more sense to me personally. Right. I would also suggest that you can put more tools in a hanging cabinet than you can a chest. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we don't- it seems to me that there's not as much space, big space, like at the bottom. And the tills, you can only do so much with those tills where, you know, you can stand stuff up in a hanging cabinet. My planes are stored vertically, so I can fit a lot more planes in a small space. Yeah, and you can I take can stack um- shelves vertically so the planes go in kind of, you know, toe first. I don't know. It just seems like I... I have a I have a hell of a, a lot of tools, and there's no way I could put all of my hand tools in a in a chest. Yeah, yeah. we do One thing I was thinking here, and but I'm just going to say it again though. I I am more of the of the wall uh, group. I, I would definitely be putting mine up on a wall. I have an idea for some storage I want to be doing in the near future. Okay, far future. But one thing is. Given a certain uh, situation, say your your tools are out in the garage or you have a really damp basement or something. I know Schwarz from attending the uh, the anarchist chest class at Woodworking in America last year. He did kind of make a good point about it would help to inhibit some of the rust because of the fact that it is closed off. That's one advantage I can think from. It. I, I can I can see from it. Other than that, yeah, I, I agree. It, it, I like the That's idea a bit of a stretch. More <laughs> easy to grab and kind of go from there versus having to constantly bend over to get it. Yeah. Um, the only other other advantage I could think too is I, I thought he had mentioned I don't see how it would work for me being as short as I am. My tool chest would have to be really, really low to the ground, but being able to set tools up on top of it, maybe do some work on the top, you know, almost as a, a set of like a mobile saw stand or something. But then again, right. you know, other than that, it, it just I, I just don't see the advantage over having something on the wall if you have the space for the wall. So okay. yes. Cool. And uh, I would like to at least say all of that said anarchist tool chest fantastic read yeah i mean whether yeah, or not the, the book is so not about the building of the tool chest <laughs> yeah yeah so regardless of what you want to do with your tool chest i do recommend you it sounds like he probably uh mike ha- already has but for those who are listening definitely uh take a look we'll put a link in the show notes to the book and i uh, highly recommend reading it schwarz is an incredible writer and uh, yeah. never disappoints i will say right, that that book gonna, is actually gonna, I, I need to derail the show here real quick because you guys are both parents if all the lights were out in the neighborhood would you take your kids trick-or-treating there what's the normal candy like from there is it big candy bars is <laughs> yeah, what, it, what uh... kind of what kind of candy <laughs> ratio are we talking about here i mean I'm, I'm hearing the dog i'm in my shop downstairs but i'm hearing the dog barking and i keep hearing my wife go to answer the door and i'm thinking it is pitch black outside not even the street lamps are on yeah but the what key the with trick-or-treating and that that's what doesn't make sense there the key is the lights on the house tell you whether or not the house wants you to knock on the door. And if all the lights are out, it's, you don't know who wants to be bothered and who doesn't. So to to answer your question, no, I would go somewhere else. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Do you have that candle holder you made with you or does your wife have it on? Perhaps it's a beacon. And they're using that as their, uh, look, there's a light. She placed it in it's the window. Like, it's That's the, the only house they're going to right now. Yeah, That's it's, it. it's in the window and beckoning to the children. We have candy. Please come. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, anyway. All right. Hey. So, yeah, that's okay, though. Uh, let's move into our email section, and also we'll jump right into the Facebook stuff. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and read this first email. It says, Mark, Matt, and Shannon, I'd love to hear a discussion about Festool's domino systems. I am an advanced woodworker that does woodworking as a hobby that often competes for time with my wife's ideas of me spending time with the family. Oh my God. This uh, God forbid. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, uh, the domino is not something I need, but it would be nice to have, and it would certainly speed up projects. My conflict is that I think the domino is quote unquote cheating and not fine woodworking. It must be the <laughs> radiuses loose tenons because I do not see anything wrong with a hollow chisel mortiser. I know Shannon is against this kind of a thing. You, you are Shannon. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know he was. Not at all, actually. No, is it just if I were the domino? Domi- power tool right now, it would probably be the domino. <laughs> is, is, it, is it just the domino itself, the, the tool? Are you against Domino's Pizza? Or do you like not like the game? Is it just the name, perhaps? Yeah, he's just it's, not a fan it's of those, Domino. It's those old men in the park playing dominoes. They're shifty. I don't trust them. I think this is, this is along the lines of when someone says, you know, well, I know you don't use hand tools, but I have this question. And it's like, what? what? <laughs> yeah okay anyway Uh, seriously if i were to buy a power tool if i were to go buy a power tool right now it would be a domino because i too have those projects where i'm like yeah i just need to get this done i just need to bash this out and move on and you know it, it becomes about getting it done rather than the journey and let's be honest modern hand tool woodworking is about the journey because it takes longer um sometimes but you know there are times where I need to, to bang out that shaker, that little shaker side table that everybody seems you to want to build once you built one. 
the domino would be awesome for that. I'd yeah. go all Rob Boas and like build one in an afternoon. Yeah. You know? No, be... totally. Well, let me finish this question here. He just wants to know <laughs> if uh, <laughs> we, we already started to answer it. Uh, he says he wants to know how we feel about you know whether or not this is really fine woodworking if it uses the domino and whether or not it cheapens the piece, even if it's only in our minds. And that's right. from uh, Tom Collins. So, yeah, so you're saying, Shannon, you actually, it sounds like you do have a, a something at least that, that says that it does cheapen the piece because you're, you would reserve it for the things that need to be done quickly or when time is of the essence. Ooh, Ooh you got me there. Um, I don't know, you know. Uh, I don't think it cheapens it at all. I just think that... So then why, why wouldn't I mean, you use it all the time? As far as the strength of it, I certainly don't think you're sacrificing strength and the customer doesn't know any better. So then what would be your justification for not using it if you owned one? When I am not in a big hurry and I prefer, I enjoy cutting tenons by hand. Right. Um, to me, pulling out the power tool would be, I just got to get this done and I don't care how I do it. Um, I'm not in here. I don't want to say not having fun because it's woodworking. I mean, it's fun, but to me, it's more fun to cut it by hand. I I enjoy working with saws and things like that and fitting the joint and everything. And it would just be more one of those that just got to get this done more than anything else. I don't think it cheapens it at all. Yeah. Now I think generally speaking, if I didn't have to show people how to do this stuff, I would be using my dominoes on probably, probably every project. Just about, yeah. Um, because it is one of the few things that is fast, but I don't feel that it really cheapens the work. Yes, mentally, you might not necessarily have the same pride you have if you hand chop your mortise and, and hand cut your tenon. Um, but you know, when you're doing this stuff for a living, you get over that real quick, and you realize, wow, I could do something that's just as good a quality for the most part uh, in terms of joint strength. And we can debate that a little bit based on some of those test results from like the, the joint tests and whatnot. But for the most part, it is strong enough for any standard furniture that we're going to use it for. And I would use the domino and not look back because the truth is it would make me money because I would be able to complete these projects faster. And the customer, as you said, the customer would have no clue about it. Um, you know, but I think a lot of people are just kind of it depends on what you're in it for. There are people who are doing it for the journey. Yeah. You, you know, Shannon, you're a good example. You enjoy that process of hand chopping a mortise. I would rather hand chop a mortise in my thigh than actually go and do it into a project. I, don't, I really would not recommend that. That's how you, you think get that thrown out of your medical insurance if you continue to do that. They catch on to it real quickly. It, yeah, and it would be so hard to keep square. It would just not work. But um, I don't enjoy the process of hand chopping a mortise. That is not fun for me. So I would much rather find other ways. And it sounds like from his uh, from his question, it sounds like he feels the same way because he doesn't have a problem using a hollow chisel mortiser to do it. Yeah. Right. And really all the domino is doing is making a rounded edge or radius version of what the hollow chisel mortiser does. Only it does it a lot faster and you already have the tenon made. I mean, and look at it this way, whether or not it's fine woodworking, who is like the most known woodworker in the world who uses loose (laughs) tenon? Well, yeah, Matt. (laughs) I'm talking about fine woodworkers, Mark. Come on. Okay. Okay. No, um, what's his name? David Marks. The dude uses loose tenons on everything, yeah. at least on woodworks he did. Um, and if you don't consider David Marks stuff to be fine woodworking, then what is, you know? Right, right. And it, he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't know, maybe he has a domino now. They, the domino didn't exist when woodworks was on. So he, what's that between, that's the difference between a domino and a multi-router? Uh, a couple you know, thousand other bucks. Other than a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. A multi-router is a more expensive domino <laughs> when it comes down to it. And, and the other thing is you have to make, once again, make your own tenons. And I think that's part of what makes it feel cheap to some people is the fact that the whole system is already there for you. The tenons uh, uh, are there okay. and, it, and yes. it starts to, it starts to smell of biscuits. And I don't mean the kind that my wife forces me to eat when she makes biscuits and gravy. Um, I'm talking. I about, like my biscuits, so back off, buddy. Both of them, the, the kind you eat, and uh, yeah, but ones. but it starts to feel a little bit like biscuit joinery, which definitely does, does yes. in my opinion, cheapen a piece if you're going to use that as a substitute for a mortise and tenon, let's say. So, so I think it suffers from a uh, an unfortunate likeness to the biscuit joiner. I think the the underlying issue here is what is your definition of fine woodworking? That's what it really, in my opinion, comes down to because, you know, you can have fine woodworking with maybe material that normally other people would be like, that's not fine woodworking, but 
you know, it, it is if it is fine woodworking to the client in the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, ideally, I think so many people get hung up on the idea that fine woodworking entails traditional joinery and it has to do this and this. And you've already pointed out the fact that, you know, in a, a production shop where you're actually trying to make money, fine woodworking is uh, your traditional joinery is what gets the job done and people don't bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I've got this big bed project coming up and I've got some major big timbers that are going to be put together. Excuse me, I'm fighting a burp. Um, I am not going to hesitate to pull out the big daddy domino to make those connections. I mean, why not? And I don't, again, it's a, it's a full scale loose 10 and I have absolutely no uh, problem with that and incorporating that into my project and charging just as much I would have, as I would have charged for that. If I had to make that with my router, God forbid with a chisel. Um, I, I bet the shakers would have used it. That's always one of my, uh, <laughs> that, that's how I always kind of calibrate <laughs> things is, okay, if the shakers were around, would they use this? Yes. I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. Heck yeah. All right, so uh, Tom, there you go. Circular saws, why not? Exactly. It was a sister that made the circular saw, wasn't it? I sure. I'll, I don't know. Let's check the Wikipedia page. S- sister Mary, spin around. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, we, we just offended a religious sect. All three of them. Yeah, it could have been worse. I could have said, you know, Sister Mary, sit on it or spin around or something like that. Hey, oh. So. <laughs> all right, hey, so uh, moving on here, how much drill press does a woodworker really need? Why does that sound like a joke? How much <laughs> drill? I thought you were going with that. I yes. thought it was, it's more like a tongue twister uh, more than anything else. Exactly. How much wood can a woodchuck chuck? And a, how much drill does a drill press need? Okay, yeah. so Robert McKee asks. And this is from Facebook. How much drill press does a woodworker really need? And I guess what he's referring to is bench top versus floor standing, mm-hmm. uh, and whether or not you really need that floor standing one. Now, I I started of course because you know you can get them at Lowe's for like two hundred bucks, two hundred fifty bucks. Get yourself a nice, uh, oh, what the heck was it? A Delta that I had variable speed did the job, but eventually I did get to the point where it was limiting, and I wanted to go with a floor standing one. So I think. I personally, I think you can get by with a, a, a bench top drill press for quite some time, but there will there will be a point where you need to fit something that exceeds the capacity of what the what you could put under the drill press, and, and that's where you're going to run into a limit. But I think if you work on smaller scale projects, you could do quite well with a bench top version for the rest of your woodworking career. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that mine started out as a uh, Ryobi uh, bench top one, and it it worked fantastic for easily. 80 to 90 percent of the things that I, I required of it, uh, I ended up putting like one of those uh, mortising attachments on it. And that was the only time that I really, really, really ever ran into a major issue with it. But other than that, um, yeah, it, it really did handle most of it. Now I have this new one with the it's, it's a full size one. And I have really been trying to get myself to come up with a project where I can take full advantage of that that longer quill depth and everything. It just mm-hmm. it's like one of those, man, I need to start designing bigger projects, I need bigger pieces. Uh, Shannon, we're not going to let you answer because I'm going to have you answer this next one. But I have a bench top drill press. <laughs> but you also have a, uh, a bit and brace set that you use like a crazy well, person. The, the only thing I'll say is the the quill travel, I think that's the limiter, not the depth of the table because most of them allow you to swivel the head around so that it faces the backside because that's what I've done. But if I've got something that's too long, and the table's in the way, um, you can turn the whole drill press around on the post, 180 degrees, and you you could drill something. The only limitation is the the floor, basically. But it's the limited quill travel. And and what's ironic is the benchtop drill press is perfect for like wood turners who turn pins, but the quill travel generally is not long enough to drill through a pin blank. Yes. So you end up having to drill partway through and then raise the table with the bit in the hole and it's a royal pain in the butt. So, there you so go. I, I guess I Quill never, travel. I never did that before. How can you turn it around 180 degrees? Like when it's off from the base and the base is on one side and the head is pointing to the other, aren't you, don't you have a major balance issue? I know, I know you could rotate the table around, but you're still limited by the base of the unit. You can only get something that's maybe 24 inches from, from the bit to the base. Cause you're not talking, are you talking about moving the entire head or just flipping the table out of the way? Moving the head, yeah. moving the entire head. And the, it, it's positioned. Now, maybe this is just my Delta, but I have the Delta bench top. It's not the variable speed one. It's the old fashioned. Yeah. Change the belt to change the speed one. But when you turn it around, the line, the line of the bit is beyond the table because the, the column 
is, you know, put towards the back of the base, excuse me, the base, not the table. So you can set something just beyond the, the base and it's still in line with the drill. Now, maybe there is a, a balance issue, but mine is actually dr- screwed into the top of the cabinet it sits on. Okay. So I don't know. Um, the only thing I would say is if it's not mounted down, make sure you clamp the base just in case there's a balance issue. But this is not like, a, a, you know, a, a, what's it called? A jailbroken type thing. Um, <laughs> this is in the manual. It actually is a feature in the manual saying loosen this Allen screw and, and the whole thing it. swivels around for unlimited drilling capacity. So it is yeah, actually something that Delta, quote unquote, endorses. So I can't huh. imagine there's a balance issue. See, Otherwise, I, they'd I, have their butts sued when it fell. Yeah, right. I, I recommended that one to somebody else. It was my Royal. We could do the same exact thing for the for the very same thing. You could, there's an Allen wrench. You just loosen that up, and you could spin it around. And, um, yeah, I, I never had an opportunity to do it because, again, I never had anything that big. But mm-hmm. it is an easy fix, assuming that you take that precaution to make sure that the the thing is secured to whatever you have it on. Otherwise, oh, my God, there it goes. Oh, my God. What did I spend? I, oh, I, that's another 200 bucks. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, okay. I, I, now I'm getting a floor model. Yeah, See? I've actually, uh, I sold mine a long time ago, so I'm only going off of memory. So I could be talking out of my butt here. Uh, but anywho, let's move on to the next one. Billy's Little Bench. Remember, uh, I think, Shannon, you you had one of his uh, links in our uh, around the web a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, Billy's got a question. He says, is it better to store wood vertically or horizontal? Does it really make a difference if the wood is properly supported? So let's go to our resident uh, wood specialist seller guy. What do you say, Shannon? No. No what? No, it does not make a difference. Okay. Good. Moving on. If the wood is properly supported, it's no difference at all. And uh, Keep it off the floor. Keep it off the floor. That's all you have to worry about. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I've stored wood vertically and horizontally. I prefer it horizontally, but I don't have any necessarily, you know, functional reasons or, you know, to the detriment of the wood reasons for not storing it vertically. I just organizationally prefer to go horizontal. Yep. Um, okay, let's see what else we have. I guess this was off of your Facebook page, right, Matt? Uh, the question about mallets? Yeah, that's right. Sean Graham asked about this one. I mean, he's just looking for a quick discussion about uh, mallets, the the types that are out there, uh, maybe a little bit on how to use them. Uh, which would you rather do, make or buy? Um, and maybe like uh, something about a sweet spot of the different types. So let's let's first of all, let's start with the different types. How many mallets do either of you own? I, I can put it out there right now. I own one. And it's like the big joiner mallet, the one that looks like it should be like Thor's hammer, but obviously it's not. I have one old wooden one that's a beater that I got passed down from my grandfather. I have one, well, I have a set of three of the Glen Drake brass head mallet dillywhackers, and that's really about all I have. Shannon? Uh, Shannon see, uses his got, fist. He's, a, he's counting right now. <laughs> yeah, we have 41, 42. No, I have four. I've got the same one that it sounds like you're talking about, Matt, the big kind of square-headed one. Yes. Um, that I use for chopping mortises just because it's it's got the half for a it. big face to it and it's heavier. Um, I've got the, the next one I bought was that, you know, those green vinyl headed ones you can get at like Woodcraft in places, mm-hmm. the yep. round ones. Um, I've got one of those that I bought, I don't know, eight years ago, maybe. I don't even know why. Then I made my own. I turned one out of Lignum Vitae, again, a, a round, quote, carver style mallet. And uh, that one's a actually got pretty beat up over the years so i broke down and bought a blue spruce like epoxy resin hardened stabilized cool nice i held one of those at wia awesome. i held it yes. and i put it against my cheek and i whispered sweet nothings into its handle <laughs> they're nicely balanced you can like hold it right at the uh the, the base and it just kind of balances itself out oh, yeah. oh wonderful very nice <laughs> but well, and, which one i'll do tell you, you i have plans to make a, a fifth one i'm gonna make a fifth one um, similar to what Mark had, the, the Glen Drakes, but it's going to be still round and it'll have a brass plug in the top so that it's weighted. And I'll use that specifically for carving, a very mm. small one that kind of fits in the palm of your hand. Nice. Okay. Well, that's one of my, my next questions. Again, since I have the kind of the bigger one, that's my all purpose. I don't really do any like delicate carving. Um, that one, I have to be very careful if like, say when I'm, I'm paring pairing and i want to just remove just a little bit i need that little extra that i know my hand isn't going to be able to get enough oomph behind it but is there an advantage over the round versus the square because that's something that i've always thought i'm like i want to get one of those round ones because they're really cool 
and I could just keep rolling it around in my hand as I'm doing it. But I'm, I'm convinced that even though I hear people say that when you have those round ones, you get it, it tends to hit easier. You know, there's you don't have to worry about kind of being off. It always seems like you hit it in the right spot. But I can see myself deflecting the wrong ways like I'd hit would just roll and hit my knuckle or something (laughs) you know (laughs) you know I I feel the same way and I think that's why I don't even own one of the round ones although they're very attractive and I'm sure they work well it just feels like when you're striking something with a a curved surface just naturally it doesn't it's not to me it's not as natural as a flat surface hitting another flat surface yeah, exactly. But I know some people have implied that because it's round, you have just a single point. So therefore, all the the striking power goes into that single point. So therefore, it goes forward where somehow with the, the flat one, I guess it gets dispersed more is I think one of the, the theories that I, I've heard out there. I don't know how true that is because I'm convinced a lot of people don't actually talk to me, honestly. So <laughs> those, uh, those people are crazy. And... I, 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 I disagree. I don't think. I don't think it's any harder to hit. It's extremely natural when you use one. Um, I think the point they're trying to make, Matt, is that you can't have a glancing blow or hit it at the wrong angle because there's only that you're always hitting with that one single point. But I don't even know whether I don't, you know, I use the square face mount when I'm chopping mortises because it's bigger and heavier and I can get more punch behind it. The other ones I use because they are more delicate. Um, you can really choke up on the round ones to the point where you're actually almost grasping the head. If you need to be really precise, like you're talking about, Matt, when you need to a little bit of extra oomph when you're pairing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I just feel like I've got more control with it. Whereas with the square headed mallet, you can only really choke up to the bottom of the head. I mean, I suppose you could grab the head itself, but it's so big at that point that you don't have the control over it. You can grab... And, and I'm doing it right now for those of you watching at home. I, <laughs> you can grab the mallet like right on the head. And Mark, this is probably like those Glenn Drake hammers because they're so small. Yep. You can almost wrap your hand around the you brass can, yeah, part. Yeah, you can palm it. That's the advantage I see is that real precision control. And, you know, I suppose something to be said about you can't get those glancing blows or whatever um so uh, i don't know i think that's why they were traditionally called carver's mallets because of the fact that there is no right or wrong way to hold it just Mm. pick it up grab it and 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 whack so okay yeah yeah Yeah, and i do actually use the the glendrake mallets exactly as you're describing very rarely and I, i guess this also comes down to how much of your work are you doing by hand are you actually chopping mortises because if not if you're doing like for the work that i do i very rarely have to take a swing of any real magnitude at my chisels because I'm doing mostly the fine work, the finesse work. I'm not actually, you know, digging into a giant piece of oak and cutting a four inch deep mortise. So the, the times that I need to really whack at it are, are very few and far between. So most of the time I am choking up on that handle and essentially, you know, my entire hand becomes the weight with the, the striking point being the brass head of the hammer. And I just get incredible amounts of control. It just feels good. Uh, yeah. to, to do it that way. So I just, at this point so far, I mean, I wouldn't turn down a blue spruce mallet if it fell into my lap, but uh, I don't really necessarily need one. It just doesn't find its way into my work. Right. Yeah. That's it, funny. So whenever I think of like way overpowered, how many of us started out with a rubber headed mallet as our, our first mallet, you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of a dead blow one. And then suddenly you're like, wow, that really just blew right through that mortise that I was working on or that that just destroyed <laughs> that dovetail. Right. You know, and, and then I start thinking about people like I, I was just looking for a picture. I think it's Peter Follinsby. It looks like they just went out, grabbed a limb and they started to use that as a carving mallet. Yeah. I was like watching an episode of Harry Potter once, and I think there was a giant that came in with a mallet. I'm like, oh, he must be a carver. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to the next question. We have a question from Andy Brownell. Brownell? How do you pronounce that one, Matt? Uh, I'm going to go with Brownell. Brownell. That sounds yeah. good. He uh, very short. brown on it. That's why. Yes. He says, very, it's a very short question here. Urban harvested air dried lumber. Is it worth the hassle and time? I, I wouldn't know. I have no comment on this because I've never used and used or had the opportunity to use it before. So either of you have an opinion on that? Um, I have a book called Harvesting Urban. Oh, so, say what? You guys talked okay. at the same time. Ro- Robot Sorry. Shannon talked and no. Matt talked. Well, well Go ahead, what I was going to say. I was going to say I have a book called Harvesting Urban Lumber or Urban Timber, which I've always wanted to do that because we have some just amazing oak trees around me yeah. um, and, and going from there. But at the same time, um, it, to me, it just sounds like one of those having to do all the stickering and coming sounds up with like a, a, lot a location <laughs> to uh, keep everything dry and, and air dry. And I have impatience. I don't know if I can go a year to two years waiting for it to 
pop properly dry. Plus running out there, you know, I have a family to take care of. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't see myself doing that. But it's, to me, it sounds like a hassle, but I wouldn't mind buying some if somebody else wants to do it. There you go. Well, I think, again, it depends on the species. There's no question air-dried lumber is so great to work with. Um, it's, it's just much easier. Now, again, this is from a handheld perspective. It's so much easier to pair. It's got cool color. It's, it's really, really nice. But it depends on the species. If it's a species that's like commercially available, no, it's not worth it. Because you're right, Matt. It takes up a lot of space. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of ways to screw it up. You know, I mean, you can air dry something and have it warp and twist and crack all over the place um, because you can try to air dry. But if it's out in the sun at all or heats up outside, you know, and if it's covered improperly, it becomes kiln dried all of a sudden if the air is not <laughs> circulating properly. So there's a lot of ways that it can go wrong. I'm not saying that it's really, really hard to me. You know, if it were a cherry tree, I'd be like, eh, I'll go to the lumber yard and buy cherry. Thanks. Yeah. You know, but if it's sassafras, ooh, sign me up, you know. So if, if, if I found a log of, of, well, I'll stick with sassafras, I would give it a try, but my wife would probably hate me too, because it would take up a lot of space in the backyard and I'd have to go out and buy, you know, all kinds of tarps and all kinds of other stuff. And yeah, yeah and, well, and you know, also attaining it is a little Doesn't, bit, it seems like a lot of work. Attaining it is a little yeah. bit tricky too, because you've got to, you know, a lot of times if it is something like this, you may only get access to a log and then you have to figure out how do you get this thing into to planks and then get it back to your shop. Uh, I think if I were a turner, it might be a different story because then I might be able to just go out with a chainsaw and, and haul away some chunks of this stuff and, you know, just put the chunks in the backyard in a pile uh, but if we're talking about getting lumber um, out of this stuff, I just don't know that it would ever be worth my time and effort to do that. Right. You know, there is a there's yeah. several resources. I just did a, a quick search and I have one here in actually in southeast Michigan. So on the other side of me called urbanwood.org. But I know like some of the uh, manufacturers of those uh, portable lumber mills, they oftentimes will have like a long list of people who have those for that particular reason hmm. and will also help you to do it. And I, I, I remember seeing somewhere, maybe it was in that book that I was talking about where they, they talk about these are individuals that will help you put together these like urban lumber groups where you can swap and trade if you do want to go that far as to actually air dry it yourself and everything. Cool. So it might be a resource if you really, really, really want to find out about it. It's pretty easy to find a ton of information. Nice. That sounds good. I think it's one of those, I think it's one of those tangential obsessions that if once you start down that rabbit hole, you find yourself turning into a sawyer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. True. Because next next thing you know, you're buying a wood miser, and then you've got it <laughs> set up in the backyard, and you're not actually doing any woodworking anymore. You're sawing <laughs> up planks. Mm-hmm. You know, total tangent, um, but urbanwood.org. There was this guy in the forum recently that left a message about he's a in our forum. We do this thing cutting octagons or whatever. He was just giving some information, but he linked to his forum and he gave it a dot com, and it was supposed to be dot org. And it was a very different website with .com versus .org. And it's funny how that works that way. Is it whitehouse.com yeah, or whitehouse.gov? I'm not going to go to urbanwood.com, but I got a feeling there's probably something not so savory there. Uh, so make sure you go to urbanwood.org just in case. Always watch your last three letters. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we do have an iTunes review and our good buddy Bobby from Gaucho Woodworking. You guys know Bobby. He always drinks beer while we do our show. Oh, hey, yeah, Bobby. we know Bobby. Not just any beer, but good quality beer, apparently, for those who know yes. what, what good quality beer is. And the kind I will never drink nor be able to pronounce. <laughs> or afford. Exactly. Um, yeah, so he says, Bobby says, these guys are fantastic, informative, entertaining, and engaging. What else can I possibly say? I always look forward to the next episode. Thank you guys for the great content. Keep it coming. And thank you, Bobby. We appreciate it. Way to go. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes, so if you, uh, you. if you want to leave Although us. Although I do have some suggestions for things that you could say since you say you don't know what else to say. I, I, I'll i send you a list. <laughs> so you think Matt's awesome. Matt's sexy. <laughs> Mark I is wish just, Matt would talk more. <laughs> we need more Matt. How about more chortles? I wish his chortle would change to the thing yes. at the beginning of their Halloween episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you want to uh, to leave us a review, just open up iTunes and look up Wood Talk. You'll find our podcast there. Leave us a review or a star rating, whatever you feel like. But if you leave a review, we will read it on the show because we always appreciate those. And I do want to give you a quick reminder that today's show is sponsored by Microjig, the creators of the Gripper 3D Push Block. Go to microjig.com, and, and while you're there, take a moment to sign up for their newsletter. Great products coming out in the future. You want to keep up with all of that. It's microjig.com slash newsletter. 
And yeah, I guess that's really about it. Anything else that we need to do before the contact info? Not that I can think of offhand. Uh, good. Again, wishing everybody a very – I ho- hope everything's going safe for those of you who have been affected by the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put up a thing on my Facebook. I'm just going to take a moment here. If you want to make a donation to help out, I mean the Red Cross is probably just working their butt off in that area. Um, anything helps out a little bit there. And try to avoid the really nasty jokes as Shannon was telling us earlier. That's not <laughs> funny, Shannon. People Inappropriate. Are- <laughs> Shannon, come on. You're out there too. Yeah, just because you're in the middle of it doesn't mean that. (laughs) Jeez. All right. Well, Matt, how about you give them We need to get power restored. Here, I'm going to start burning my lumber. (laughs) (laughs) First things first is go in that Rubo bed. There's a lot of nice lumber in the shop that could go up and smoke real fast. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Got to be careful there. All right. Want to give them that contact info, Matt, and we'll get out of here. Absolutely. Hey, you know what? If you want to get a hold of us and leave us a voicemail, you can do it either through Skype. Look for us at Wood Talk Online, or you can do our voicemail uh, the old traditional way. You could actually dial it. That's 623-242-5180. Go ahead and put that in your speed dial because, you know what, we're far more important than, say, your mom. So go ahead and put us in her <laughs> her area. Don't forget to email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Uh, you can find all the show notes and previous episodes over at woodtalkshow.com. And Hey, find us over on Facebook because a lot of these questions today came from Facebook and we love to see you over there because we love face. We do love face. We also like books. Not as much yes. as we like face, but books are nice too. Yeah. All right. Big thanks to Micro Jig for supporting the show. Thanks to the chat room for hanging out with us. Although we did ignore you once again tonight. We do love you though. So uh, don't be offended. And also happy Halloween, safe trick or treating for anyone who's going out to uh, do that sort of thing and uh, have a spooky Halloween. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Love That's it. what I really need that robot voice. Come and, on, robot voice. Yes, I was going to say the perfect way to end the show is with Shannon talking uh, this. I would like. <laughs> okay, see you next time, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.